Let's talk about fishing line. Last unit, we introduced monofilament, which is nylon, and it's real good attributes. It's inexpensive, it's strong, it has some stretch to it, some give, it's buoyant. Monofilament's a really great line. There are other lines. Uh, fluorocarbon came onto the market in, oh, the late to mid-1990s. And everybody got really, really excited about it. Fluorocarbon is, eh, let's call it a super nylon. It is thinner, yet has the same strength as nylon. So if you have a 10-pound mo uh, monofilament line and a 10-pound fluorocarbon, that fluorocarbon is going to be much thinner, much smaller cross-section uh, diameter. It sinks. It doesn't have as much buoyancy. And catfish fishermen got all excited about this line whenever it came out. And they started using it, but they, they quickly found that with this line sinking to the bottom, if a, a fish picked up the bait and started to move, he could have that he could have that line wrapped up around, you know, stumps and, and shopping carts and, and all kinds of junk on the bottom and you never even would detect it. And so a lot of them have moved back to the monofilament that has a tendency of not settling on the bottom like the, uh, the fluorocarbon. The, the great thing about fluorocarbon is it's invisible. Fly fishermen got all excited about this. And they rushed out and they bought fluorocarbon leaders that just disappeared in the water. Yeah, they did, but they also sank. And so that kind of screwed up a lot of the, the presentations. We'll get into more of that later. Now fluorocarbon is used by some people. A lot of people will use this as a leader. Um, people have rediscovered braid or braided line. And braided line is super strong. It, it has a nice, easy hand to it. Uh, this is what lines used to be made out of whenever they made fishing lines out of horsehair and silk. They were all braided. Then we went into the monofilament, and everybody got used to that, and things, what goes around, comes around. And so now people have moved back to the braided lines. But they're no longer horsehair or silk. And they're using these really high-tech polymers. You know, in addition to monofilament, there's like Kevlar's and Spectrus and, and fluorocarbon, you know, combinations and mixtures. Any chemistry majors out there, boy, this sounds like this would be a fascinating report. We had talked about fish hooks last, uh, last unit. And we'll introduce a, a few more. We talked about the Aberdeen and the circle hooks. Uh, a bait keeper hook is basically any hook that has these little barbs on the, the shank of the hook. It's, the idea is that it kind of holds the, the, the bait up onto the hook and it doesn't slump down into the bend right here. A traditional bait hook 
has a relatively short shank to kind of nullify the need for that. Uh, weedless hooks have some type of either wire or sometimes monofilament that makes the hook less likely to get caught in in uh, up in weeds or, or in brush. Um, weedless is you'll catch less weeds. It doesn't mean that they're leaf proof or weed proof. Uh, worm hooks. These are very, very popular. They've been around for 40 or 50, 60 years now. And if you're using a soft plastic, which we'll, we will go into in great detail soon, um, a lot of people will use a, a worm hook. It just makes a very good, very easy presentation. And of course, we have treble hooks. Uh, treble hooks or or three hooks um, are used primarily for bait fishing like catfish and on artificial lures. One type of hook I would like to point out to you is the offset hook and these used to be very common. I've only seen a few of them in the last uh, few years but the the point of the hook is bent pretty severely when compared to the shank. And the idea is that it's easier to go down a fish's gullet. And you'll get a, a solid um, a hook set with this. These were used and developed for commercial fishermen who were long lining, uh, you know, for, for salmon or swordfish or tuna or, or whatever. Uh, for sport fishing, we would rather not use these. A lot of people are practicing catch and release, and unless you are planning on keeping everything you catch, I would avoid the, uh, the offset hooks. We'll revisit our sizing chart uh, from last time. R remember the larger the number, the smaller the hook. This size 10 is much smaller than a size one. Treble hooks is the exact same sizing uh, convention. On most lures, you'll see on a small lure, uh, a number six treble. Uh, fours are very, very common, and twos. Some of the very larger lures, you'll get up into the, into the odd numbers. And of course, if you're catfishing, the larger the bait, the larger the hook, the larger the fish you're planning on, on catching. So again, to make some sense out of all these numbers, what hooks do I need? Well, here's a simple little, little chart. Uh, for bass, you're typically going to be using between a, a size 6 up to a 4 aught. Um, Bluegill, a size 6 down to about a, a 14. Remember, the larger the number, the smaller the size of the hook. Um, trout, this is where it gets crazy. You know, they're going down to a, a size 28. I can't even see a size 28. So, let's take a moment and expand our weight knowledge. We mentioned the split shot weight in unit one, but there's a ton 
<laughs> no pun intended, of different types of weights. Probably one of the most common weights we'll see around here is the casting weight or the bell weight. It, it's simply a, a chunk of lead. Um, has a wire down through it. This swivels and we'll use it to, to build various types of rigs. Uh, if you remember, we talked about the worm hook just a few minutes ago, and a bullet weight can be used in combination with a worm hook to present soft plastic lures uh, to really tight cover down along the bottom. These are incredibly versatile. Uh, the bank weight is whenever we're getting into the really big stuff, uh, primarily catfishing or very uh, swift-moving uh, water current. Uh, that's a two-ounce uh, bank weight right there. That's the largest weight that most mortals are going to use um, around the state of Indiana. Uh-oh. Yeah, lead is a toxic material. And the state of California has determined through great scientific study and legislation that everything in this world will kill you. So you'll see this warning anytime that you uh, buy something from Cabela's. Uh, they'll plaster this over everything. There is a, a, a movement that's been afoot for about 20 years, maybe even 30 years, to try to reduce the amount of lead in the environment. Duck hunters did this, oh wow, way back in the 70s, even into the 60s, where scientists had determined one of the reasons they were seeing lower duck numbers was because the ducks were eating lead shot. You would go out duck hunting, you would see ducks flying over, you would shoot. A, f a lot of the pellets would miss and land into the water. Well, the ducks are out there feeding, and they're feeding off the bottom, you know, for little invertebrates and, and some vegetation and things like that, and they feel that lead shot, think it's food, and, and ingest it. Well, that can get into their, their bodies, cause a toxicity, and it, it really screws up the reproduction cycle. And scientists were seeing a decline in, in um, the duck numbers. So, sportsmen came up with the idea that if we didn't use lead to hunt ducks, the ducks would get become more healthy and reproduce more, and there would be more ducks to hunt. And that's exactly what they did. Um, eventually, the states got around to banning the use of lead shot in duck hunting. You have to use steel or some other metal, non-toxic, and duck numbers have returned. I mean, ducks are, are doing better than they probably ever have. Fishermen are kind of getting onto the same thing. We don't need to be putting lead into the water sources that we are catching fish out of. Some states have banned the use of lead weights. There's alternatives is a very common weight, uh, lead weight substitute. It, it's easy on the environment. It's a little pricey. 
um, uh, tung tungsten is is another um, substitute uh, for lead. It's a little bit more pricey, but we're you know if you were buying a a package of uh, lead weights for a dollar, these might cost you two and a half, maybe three bucks. Uh, come on, you you can afford it. It's not like it's going to to break the bank, or you're not going to be able to go on a fishing trip. So just consider, you know, getting the lead out and doing something a little, little more friendly to the environment. Swivels are an interesting item for fishing. I so wish we were in a classroom and I could uh, pass these around to you. Uh, swivels are a device that are used to help prevent line from twisting. If you build a fishing rig and you cast it out and you use it and then you reel it back in, but as you reel it in, it twists and it bind the line binds up on the reel and you end up with a mess, you know, at some point. If you put a swivel, like a barrel swivel, a few feet above your rig that will literally get the twist out. And so they become very, very uh, handy. There's various sizes right here. Again, the larger the number, the smaller the side size. Over here are uh, snap lock uh, swivels or snap swivels. Undo this wire right here by pushing in, and you can slip on a, a, a bell weight. Uh, you can clip this into a loop on the end of your line. There's lots of different uses for, for snap swivels. Typically we do not use a snap swivel to tie into a lure. This extra weight kind of screws up the action of the lure and if you're spending you know, 8, 10, 15 bucks for a lure, you want that thing to be operating as perfectly as possible. So I wouldn't recommend using a, a snap swivel to tie directly into a, a lure. These are called three-way swivels and we'll see in the uh, next week's lectures on how to build different types of rigs using the, the three-way swivel. We had talked about the good old hook and bobber rig last unit. Let's introduce a slightly more sophisticated uh, a, a bobber rig. This is called a slip bobber. There is a tube that runs all the way through here. So instead of clipping the bobber onto the line in one stationary position, we can rig this up so that this will slide along the line however we want. If you remember, one of the kind of disadvantages of the traditional hook and bobber rig that we mentioned last unit was that you can only get that hook three, four, maybe five feet below the bobber because it's just so incredibly hard to cast. It's very, very awkward. Well, the slip bobber solves that problem. You can have 
this stopper knot that limits the travel of the bobber, you could have this 20 feet away from the hook. So if I put a split shot right here just to get the, the hook and, and bait down, 20 feet away I can put this stopper knot and a little bead to keep it from you know jamming up in there. Now whenever I cast this bobber is going to go right down here along the split shot which is maybe just a foot maybe two feet away from the hook and I can make that cast the stopper knot is not going to get in the way going through the guides and I can cast out the bait hook and split shot sink to the bottom and the slip bobber will slowly work itself back to the stop knot wherever I put it along that line. So if you want to suspend your bait 10 feet you know down um, if you're fishing 12 foot water and you want to keep the bait up off the bottom set your stopper knot at 10 feet and the bobber will present that bait right above the bottom can be an incredibly effective um, uh, fishing rig for for natural bait and again this becomes very very easy to cast some more accessories with fishing <laughs> there's always accessories for fishing um we talked about a lot of them uh, last unit. Let's add a few more. Like, oh, I don't know. How about a boat motor trailer and a great big truck or SUV to tow all of that? We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Uh, electronics is really, really big. Once you get into boating, the electronics just keep on a coming. And there's a few electronics that you, that uh, shorebound uh, fishermen can use also. So here's a quick demonstration on how to use a brand new app out. The app's called Fish Finder. It's out today on the iTunes store. Uh, helped me catch a 28 pound common last night. So let's give you a quick demonstration on how we use the app. There's a picture of the logo there. You can see it, Fish Finder. So let's open the app up. So the app opens. What you need to do is tilt your iPhone so it's in horizontal mode. And what we're going to do is we're going to capture the area that we want to be analysed. Here. Just touch the screen. The app then starts analysing the swim. You can use it on a river or a lake or even in the sea. So it just takes a while to analyse your swim. And it then presents you with information on that swim, so it's showing us that the depth on average is 9.4 feet, the temperature is 43.7. It's then presenting us with information uh, on the fish that are in that swim. So we've got a 21 centimetre long fish, a 28 centimetre, there's an 8, a 12 and another 12 over there. And in terms of the uh, distance that they are away, we've got 10 metres there on the right, 20, 30 and 40 to the other side of the bank. So uh, yeah, it's a great app. As I said, it helped me catch a cracking 28 pounder last night. So download it today, Fish Finder, all one word.
remember my my big shopping tip you don't have to spend a lot of money on fishing equipment to catch fish let's talk about getting out on the water here are a few things that I would ask you to, to consider whenever you're evaluating what type of watercraft you want to, or can afford to go fishing. So, where are you going to be fishing? Are you going out to Lake Griffey, down to Lake Monroe, or are you going near shore, coastal regions, Great Lakes, wherever? How many people are, are you going to go fishing with? If you're taking 10 of your closest fishing buddies with you, you're going to need a pretty good-sized boat. If you always fish by yourself, well, you don't need as large of a boat. Do you have $50,000 to drop on a uh, really nice uh, Ranger Bass boat uh, trailer and, and vehicle? Or are you more like $500 for whatever you can possibly find? Where are you going to store this? Some boats you can actually store in your closet. Other boats you'll need either a slip at a marina or a storage garage or at the very least some room in your two-car garage. How are you going to transport? Do you have a vehicle that you can tow a trailer, a boat and trailer with? Or is this going to go on top or even inside your car? Let's explore these things. The number one most versatile favorite type of watercraft to go fishing. Good old canoe. They've only been used for, I don't know, four, five thousand years in North America to catch fish. Canoes come in all different shapes and sizes. You can spend a couple hundred bucks on them. You can spend several thousands of dollars on them. These can weigh between 20 pounds or 100 pounds. You can go fishing by yourself. You can take two, maybe three people with you. Storage, a little difficult. Preferably you're going to store a canoe inside, but you could set up a, a simple rack on the outside. If you live in an apartment, canoes are probably not the best choice for you as my my newlywed bride and I found out whenever whenever we moved into our first apartment our so our 13 foot solo canoes actually would not fit up the stairwell and make the right hand turn into our apartment so we had to come up with something else we talked to the landlord and he allowed us to build a simple rack uh, alongside a fence and we were able to to store our, our canoes there and it worked out very well transport pretty easy you just put it on top of your vehicle and you go 
I would recommend some type of a roof rack system. Yakima, Thule are very good. You can get into some money with those two systems. A basic rack is now running around 400 bucks, depending on what type of car you have. However, I've had my Yakima system for 30 years now, and it's still going strong. So they, they do last. You can find a used canoe a couple of few hundred bucks uh, two three four hundred the older the boat or the heavier the boat the cheaper the boat is going to be you can go for a very lightweight boat for a few thousand dollars brand new really just kind of depends what you're looking for the most popular length of canoe is 16 feet. You can easily carry two people in a 16-foot boat and fish, or you can fish by yourself out of a 16-foot boat. If you do get into canoes, I highly recommend that you learn how to paddle a canoe properly. Um, I can't recommend the books and videos by Bill Mason more highly. Oh, yeah, but kayaks are so cool. Yeah, they are. Kayaks are all the rage. Do you know why kayaks are all the rage? Notice this young lady standing in her kayak. She is the only person in that boat. Kayaks are solo boats. One person. One person boats are easier to handle, maneuver, and fish from than two person boats, such as a tandem canoe. There are two styles of kayaks. There's the sit on top kayak right here. It has a nice little backrest. You sit right there your feet sit down here everything is sealed everything's enclosed some of these guys will have watertight hatches this one looks like it has two you can keep gear dry if a wave comes by and crashes over you you get a little wet but there's scuppers in the bottom of these things that the water is going to drain right out if you fall off your sit on top kayak some people will call that capsizing you can just crawl right back on no big deal i do recommend that everything on there is tied down or has some type of a leash uh, to it so things don't uh, go to the bottom the other type of kayak is a sit-in or a cockpit style kayak these allow you to get your lower body down inside the boat. You're sitting lower to the water. You're actually much more stable in a cockpit kayak because your center of gravity is so low. They're not quite as versatile as a sit on top. They're harder to stand up in. It's kind of harder to maneuver in these 
But the real question you need to ask yourself, when am I going to be using this boat? If your answer is June, July, and August, I would highly recommend a sit-on-top. They're just easy. They're fun. You don't have to worry about them. But if you're planning on getting an early start on a fishing season, March, April, or if you enjoy fishing late into the fall where the water temperature and the air temperature start to uh, cool down a bit, I would recommend the cockpit style because add a spray skirt to the cockpit and you're kind of sealed in there and you stay much warmer and you're much more protected from the elements. So two different styles, they, they both work well. A, another option is a float tube. These were very popular back in the uh, 70s, 80s, and 90s, and they continue in their popularity. A glorified truck inner tube with a fabric cover. Seriously, that's what they started out as. These are really versatile. They're pneumatic. You pump them up, you go fishing. You come back from fishing, you let the air out, you deflate them, you put them back in your vehicle, and you go home. No car top racks, no trailers, no hassle. Probably the one disadvantage with these is you're not going to go very far. Don't sign up for that seven mile fly fishing river trip. Yeah, these are really good for small bodies of water, especially places that you can't get a boat, you know, a regular boat into. These just excel. These will get you back in places that fish have probably never even seen a boat. And you can just have a ball with these. Typically, you wear swim fins for propulsion, and yeah, you're going backwards, but you can also use that and, and kind of fish as you're going, so it, it's, it's not a real real big hassle. These are relatively inexpensive. I mean, 100 bucks, 150 you can, you know, the YouTube up here is, uh, is, is, is a little bit more expensive. Check these out. These can really solve a lot of uh, shorebound uh, fishermen's problems, especially if you have a lake that the, the shoreline is just so tangled that you can't really get to the water. One of these things can just be a perfect solution to that. Or, of course, you could go with a SUP, a stand-up paddleboard. These came onto the market, oh, early 2000s, and people thought they were just a fad. Well, 20 years later, they're still around, and they're still going strong. These are a surfboard that you stand up on and you can really trick these puppies out. You can add a cooler that not only keeps your fish cold or your favorite beverage cold, but it also functions as a seat. Propulsion is with a very long canoe paddle. 
you can set up different rod racks for these and you can take a half dozen rods with you. They really kind of borrow all the best things of a sit-on-top sea kayak with a surfboard. By standing, your legs are, are constantly in motion and you don't get those kind of cramping sensations that you can in, in, a, in a canoe or a kayak. And probably the biggest advantage for fishermen is that you have increased your height of eye from about two feet to, well, however tall you are. So five or six feet. And that makes a really big difference whenever you're, you're out on the lake. Some of these are inflatable, and they charge for that. I mean, you can easily get $2,000 into an inflatable SUP. Um, there's there's uh, uh, hard shell SUPs that are much less probably new for a quality item. You're going to be up into the seven dollars $800 range. Storage, kind of like a canoe, although... You could probably maneuver this into your apartment, uh, depending on how the doors uh, were lined up. Typically, you're running 10 feet for a very, uh, uh, one designed for a very lightweight paddler, uh, up to 12, even 14 foot uh, for a heavier paddler or one who wanted to carry uh, a lot more gear. Generally, I would say that they're easier to store and transport than uh, than canoe or kayak, but you know they're kind of in the in the same range right there. And of course, we've got the good old John boat. Hey, don't laugh. A lot of real famous fishermen started out in a John boat. These are bare bones, no bells, no whistles, no carpeting thousand dollars you can get into a john boat if you keep your eye on um, yard sale signs or uh, classified ads or craigslist you can pick up an old beat up john boat for just a couple hundred dollars that might even include the trailer remember when people are selling boats they're usually not selling them because they're desperate for the money to, to recover the value that is remains in the boat. Most people are desperate to get this thing the frick out of my yard. Usually this mandate comes from the wife. Or a reluctant husband who realizes that he actually hasn't used that boat in the last five years, and yes, it needs to go. Give me a fair price, and it's all yours. In the state of Indiana, you have to register a boat if it has a motor. So just one little caveat in there. Um, you really should get a title with the boat if it's a, a power boat. That makes your life at the uh, Department of Motor Vehicles so much easier if you get that, that title and a bill of sale uh, with that boat. Storage, yeah, you're going to need a place to store this. Uh, apartment dwellers, uh, 
that's kind of rough. Sometimes you can find storage at a marina, um, a boat storage facility. Not the most convenient thing in the world, but then again, you know, it's can be kind of an inconvenience not having a, a power boat if, if that's something that, that you, you really want. Now we're talking big fun here. Big money also. Brand new Ranger Bass boats, you're north of $20,000. You know, if you have them fully outfitted, depending on the size of the engine uh, that you get. Be careful getting sucked into a three, five-year mortgage on a bass boat. Uh, monthly payments, you know, might be a whole bunch of fun in, uh, in May and June, but they become a real drag in January and February. If you keep your eyes open, you can find these on the used market. People are buying and selling boats all the time. Sometimes they, um, they buy a starter boat and they're moving up and they're willing to, to let their, uh, their old boat go. Sometimes these are sitting in the, uh, the side yard for the last five years and have never moved. And they just want the, the boat go. So... Um, uh, kind of a general rule is, so keep your eyes open. You can find bargains on these things. Uh, storage is going to be an issue. Make sure that you can store the boat over winter. Uh, make sure that your vehicle that you drive now uh, has enough power and has enough weight that you can tow a boat that you're looking at. Number of people, two, three, four is usually not a problem. And you really open yourself up for greater ranges of, of uh, uh, fishing grounds. You can leave the dock and in, in just a few minutes be miles away into areas that most fishermen uh, will, will never get to. And the last little item I'd like to leave you with as we finish up this section is the ancient fishing proverb. If you feed a man a fish, he eats for a day. If you teach a man to fish, he will then buy a rod, a reel, new line, hooks, weights, bobbers, tackle boxes, bait boxes, forceps, line nippers, topwater lures, divers, spinner baits, inline and safety, crank baits, soft baits, tube baits, scented baits, a boat, a motor, a boat trailer, a new truck to pull the boat and boat trailer, a fish finder uh, with side scan sonar, a color monitor and GPS, a trolling motor with GPS and Bluetooth connectivity, an anchoring system, fishing apps, for all the lakes and rivers in North America, 17 fishing magazine subscriptions and a membership to seven national fishing organizations, out-of-state fishing trips including hotels, restaurants, diners, guide service, fuel, bait, and gratuity, Canadian fishing trips including float plane fly-in service, full lodge, boat rental, and native guide for three days, license, customs, and other items may apply. <laughs>